Welcome into another edition of the Day Night Victory Podcast, only available on MusketeerReport.com. I am Rick. Dan is on the line. And for this edition of the podcast, we are joined by a special guest. You all just know him as BJ. He is the managing partner of Dana Gardens and one of the co-owners of the famous Xavier Bar. And we figured what better time than quarantine time to uh, sort of talk some stories and get the history of Dana's a little bit. So, BJ, thanks for joining us. I appreciate uh, Rick, you and Dan having me on the show. This is uh, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, well, you you have obviously hosted us a few times, so uh, I guess we're kind of returning the favor a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing our best. Uh, before we got get into you know the stories and everything, I wanted to ask, um, just kind of give us an update. You know, we've been we've been talking about it on social media and everything. These are weird times to be in. And I'm sure as a bar owner and um, a, a restaurant, it's a tough time to be in right now. How are things going at the bar, and what's going on with you guys and your staff? So. We're very lucky. We're able to, to sell food and uh, drinks to go. Um, so we're, we have been doing that. Um, we're lucky enough between people buying the food and the drinks, buying gift certificates, calling up and uh, purchasing uh, merchandise, whether it's hoodies or long sleeves or hats or anything like that. Um, we're, we're doing okay. Um, we need to average um, five, six, seven hundred dollars a day. Uh, during these times um, to help pay um, the employees, um, the three guys that are full time, uh, Jim, Mike and Teddy, um, they've all still been full time for me. So they haven't lost any salary or anything like that. Still paying their health insurance. Um, it, it People have been we've we've had some people Venmo them uh, for some virtual tips. Um, Herschel is in on those tips as well. Um, obviously we're not having Herschel work at the bar because of his age. And I don't want to be the person responsible if something bad was to happen to him. So even though he wants, even though he wants to come in and work, um, I've given him the harsh news that we're not allowing him to. So if anybody, um, wants to call for merchandise stuff, we're actually sold out of hoodies and hats right now. And because of the inventory cost of those, I don't think that we'll be getting those back in until things are back to normal. But we do have long sleeve tees for sale, short sleeve tees. Um, you can buy gift certificates and those are easily mailed out uh, that afternoon um, or just stop in and call ahead and pick up dinner, drinks, whatever. One of the questions I've seen the most on Twitter when I've said anything about the bar, BJ, is how if you know, if I'm not local, how can I do something? Is the best way to call or is it to hit you up on Twitter or what's the best way to go about gift cards and uh, long sleeve T-shirts and that sort of yeah, thing? Yeah, feel free to feel free to DM us on Twitter, um, Dana Gardens, or uh, give us a phone call um, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. roughly right now. 631-2337 is the phone number uh, for people with Letters on their phone, 631-BEER is actually the phone number. <laughs> we got that We got that way back in the day when we first opened up, and you could actually talk to the telephone company and, and ask for your last four numbers. So we've been lucky with that. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I want to start this off by asking both of you, and Dan, I'll start with you because I, I feel like you're a bit more of a degenerate, especially in your college days. Give me your best story about Dana Gardens from when you were in school. So this is the thing, like, I, because I didn't go to Xavier, I, I didn't go to Xavier, but I've been going to Dana's since I was like, 
Like, honestly, there are stories about my parents going to Dana's pregame before a game at the Gardens, sticking me on a, a, a stool with a roll of quarters when they used to have uh, uh, pinball machines down in the down in the downstairs bar. So I've probably been going there since I was six or seven years old. Um <laughs> I, I won't say when when I started getting served there, but uh, <laughs> but I can but I can say I had nothing to do with the place getting shut down. So that's uh, I your take my no responsibility. Your, your my ID's favorite twenty one, right? <laughs> <laughs> my favorite story. Um, it was the year of the. Uh, it, it it was it was the year of the uh, handshake game at Cincinnati Garden. So the Xavier UC. Uh, Overtime game, uh, Jeff Massey hit a couple threes in overtime. Xavier beat UC. My dad worked with this guy about the same age who was a big UC fan. Uh, he, I think he had gone to UC. And they made a bet. Uh, and I can't remember what my dad was going to have to do, but but Carl's part of the bet was that if, he, uh, if, if Xavier won, he had to go to Dana Gardens after the game. And you can imagine what a mess Dana's was after a crosstown shootout. And he had to kiss. They have a, a, a white X on the blue tile on the floor. You remember that, BJ? I don't know oh, if you guys still yeah. had it. When, the old, yeah. the old linoleum, linoleum, I can't even say the word, linoleum floor we had before the hard one. And so, and so after the game, Carl had to put red lipstick on his lips and kiss the X uh, and did it. When, and, of course, there were like hundreds of people screaming and yelling at him. And, uh, and that was pretty funny. Uh, I remember that one pretty vividly. BJ, what what about you? You were telling us kind of before we came on air here that you actually didn't go to Dana's a whole lot when you were in school, right? Yeah, yeah. When I was in school, I wasn't uh, I, I wasn't much of a drinker um, until probably my junior senior year at Xavier. Um, in fact, it is a little known story that the first uh, day or two in Brockman, when I was a freshman, introducing myself to my wingmates, the quote was, "Hey, my name is BJ Haley, um, and I don't drink." So that's how I endeared myself to everybody and, uh, <laughs> and, and went downhill from there until later, <laughs> late, later on when I actually started drinking and hanging out and having fun. Um, but yeah, there's, there, there's, there's not really any fun, memorable times before we bought it because I only went there four or five times and mostly that was for lunch. Um, so the, our best stories are obviously, um, they, they, they involve after Xavier wins. Um, there's many a time where uh, 96 was the year that we opened, January uh, 25th of 96. And then a week later is the UC, week or two later is the UC uh, number one in the country, number two in their own city game. Oh. And, and rushing back because I was at the game, rushing back. And just seeing everybody in the parking lot and just having an awesome time that night. Or there was an 11 a.m. Dayton game one time where we opened at 8 in the morning and we beat Dayton. And, I mean, it, we were just there all night and everyone's in the parking lot. Um, other UC games when we had the Golden Tee um, game, the Golden Tee golf game, after uh, another UC win – I would just sit up on top of that golden tea machine and I'd have a, a boot, one of those big German two liter boots <laughs> that, that, that I would fill with Captain and Coke. And I would just sit up there and just watch everybody party and have such a great time and invite um, the obviously um, good looking Xavier student girl or two up on top with me and have 
it, there was a lot of good times. I would imagine kind of your your timeline of the bar is probably measured in those big Xavier wins with you being such a fan of the program as well. Yes, no doubt about that. I mean, it, the, and the other thing too with uh, owning the bar for so long and the program being so good is I've been able to travel like all the I've only missed two NCAA games since we bought the bar. One was uh, the Marquette game up in Cleveland. Um, I got food poisoning the night before and couldn't make the drive up. And then the other one was um, the Sweet 16 game in Atlanta against Baylor. Uh, me and some friends, that, that season wasn't a very good season. And we didn't think we were going to make the tournament at all. And we had the chance to go and uh, to the Masters. So we, we had a Masters trip. Um, where the week before we would, we drove down to Athens, played golf around there. And then later in the week, we went to, uh, to watch the Tuesday practice round. So those are the only two games that I've missed. I, we, I fly everywhere, um, to watch these games. And it, it, I'm very lucky to be in the, uh, place that I am. Yeah. And I know that you, uh, you, you make a lot of road games and, uh, exempt events. We saw each other down in Charleston, uh, yeah. that, this past November. Um, but I know you, you, we've talked a couple times, you've been to a bunch of different away venues in the big East, uh, since the conference change, right? Yeah. Or at least uh, a couple of them. We, we, we go. So my wife is from the Baltimore area. Um, so we try to get to the Georgetown game every year, um, just so that we can see her friends that live in both Baltimore and DC. And actually I love going to DC because of how large the alumni base is there and getting to see old friends that are now 20 years out that have kids and that I remembered partying with when, when we just opened up, it, it, it's been really good. So let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, how you came to be a bar owner. Cause as you said, uh, in college, that probably would not have been, uh, uh, the, the vocation that you would have expected. Um, first of all, so, so I have a vague recollection of when, Dana's closed. Obviously, Dana's was run by the Delaney family forever. The bar was shut down in what, 92 or 93? 94, April, April, 94, April 22nd of 94. And why do you, I mean, I don't, I don't want to dredge up any unpleasantness, but why was the bar shut down? I Um, mean, my understanding was it was just underage consumption, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. So the Delaney family started the bar um, in uh, 1935, um, and it had stayed in their family the whole time. Um, in 1991-ish, um, Dan opened – so he lived over in Hidden Valley uh, over on the right. Indiana-Ohio border. He opened up a restaurant uh, bar called Delaney's, and he yep. went and re- managed that place. So he had other people running the bar um, back in the day. And then in uh, the guy that he had running it the last year or so um, really didn't care too much about uh, the laws and <laughs> minors and um, some other stuff. Um, they, they got caught for and the state finally came to Dan and said, hey, it, it, this is your choice. You could either turn the liquor license in um, for Dana Gardens or we're going to process trying to take both of your liquor license. Mm-hmm. And he he obviously the the one out in Indiana was doing very well for him, um, so he decided to to shut it down. And he thought, um, and I would have thought too, that it would have been an easy easy thing to sell. Um, he did have one caveat when selling it; um, it needed to stay a bar. 
Um, he had had two or three offers from people wanting to buy uh, the building. Like the one I know for sure was a lawn care company that wanted to use it as his, its office and then put all the trucks and everything in the parking lot. And he refused to sell it to them because he didn't want to lose Dana Gardens, the bar. So with that in mind, um, he closed down April 22nd of 94. Um, I had gra- I graduated in May of 94, uh, started graduate school at Xavier in health and hospital administration. Um, did not like that one bit. In fact, I didn't even make it through a semester. I dropped out in November of that year. Um, I was working for my uncle at the time who owned a gas station on Third Street, uh, downtown Cincinnati at the end of the Clayway Bailey Bridge. And uh, I told him, I said, Uncle Chris, I, I can't run this gas station for you anymore. We need to open up a business. And he's like, BJ, you find the business for me. I'll, I'll uh, invest in it and we'll be partners. So at that point, I knew that the Dana's had been closed for six, eight months. I did a business plan with him. He, uh, he said that he did not want to get into the bar business. And it, it boggled my mind that he didn't want to do that because he drank a lot. So maybe that, <laughs> maybe that's why he didn't want to buy, buy into it. <laughs> um, when he said no, uh, Robbie, who graduated in December of 93, so he's a half year behind us, um, I saw him at a Christmas party or a basketball game or something, and I'm like, Robbie, I've got this business plan. I said, we should open Dana's, and his eyes lit up. <laughs> he he loved Dana's. He was a proud patron from when he was 18 to 22. <laughs> and um, from there, we uh, – Allegedly. Started, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> um, so he uh, – we, we started getting some financing together. Um, and it all came to fruition, uh, July 7th of, uh, 1996 or 95 was when we bought the bar from Dan. Uh, from there we had to procure a liquor license and we had to update electric and water and, and everything like that. In fact, Dan didn't, um, he didn't winterize the building. They just assumed that the building was going to sell real quick and when we finally went in there and turned the water on, it was like spring showers. All the pipes had burst and stuff yeah. like that. There was still old beer in every single cooler. Um, it, it, it was pretty bad. Um, so we had to update that stuff. We had to get the liquor license, which really wasn't easy at all. Um, the city or the Evanston community did not want a bar to open back up in that place because of the previous owners um, antics, the, they had some issues with the locals at times. Um, so the locals didn't want it to be a bar. And luckily uh, we had some friends in the city. Uh, so we, we literally had to go sit in front of city hall or the whole city council and tell them why we should get that liquor license transferred in there. And this was, we were 23 year old kids talking in front of city council. Um, we had some Xavier friends talk on our behalf, even though they barely knew us. Uh, Bob Riepenhoff, if you guys know him at all, came down from Lima. Uh, he was the alumni president at the time and talked about how Dana needed to get back open for the Xavier community. And uh, between that and people knowing people, and we, we were lucky enough to get the liquor license moved in. 
Um, fast forward to January 25th of 96, we opened the doors. A week or two later, Xavier beats UC, and it's all fun and games since then. I mean, you, you mentioned that game already and how you were just watching and everything working exactly as you planned. Um, was it just instant success from the time you opened it, or was there a period where you struggled or anything like that to get it back open? No, it, I wouldn't say struggled, um, but um, when when I was in school, the upstairs and the downstairs were open every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. You, you had to beat people away from getting them in, and obviously part of that was probably they were letting people in that they shouldn't. Um, but those first couple years, it was just Robbie and I working um, – seven days a week. Uh, and it was just us two. Uh, we would have Herschel. Actually, we, we got him from Flanagan's when the city bought, uh, Flanagan's and put Paul Brown stadium, his uh, services became available. So he would come on, but it, it, it was, it was us three and some doormen and that was it. Um, we were, so it, it, plus the bar had been closed almost two years. So the students didn't know about Dana's as much. The Nord Cafe was still there, so a lot of people right. were going there. Um, Soupies, Soupies probably was there, yeah, yeah. and and they let under they let eighteen. You were allowed in at eighteen, mm-hmm. which is why they wound up losing their liquor license, <laughs> which boggles my mind how any person with a liquor license would ever let underage in there purposefully. Um, but it took it took about two or three years to where it we started a freshman when they came in would hear about Dana's and so it took a little bit, but it, it's never been too bad. Uh, BJ, what, um, when you think about, uh, Dana's, I mean, you know, the, the tagline is, uh, uh, an Irish possession, a Xavier tradition. That's been the tagline since you guys have run it. And one of the things that, that always strikes me is you walk into that place in 2020 and it looks essentially the same as probably the first time I walked in, you know, when I was a kid, what I remember as a kid, do you, it, it, it's almost like it's, it's almost like the bar belongs to the university and the university community. And you guys are almost caretakers. Do you ever, is that the way you kind of view it? Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind that that's the way it is. Um, we've got the license plate up on the ceiling from all throughout the country of people donating their Xavier plates. Um, we've got, uh, the jerseys up on the ceiling for both men's and women's basketball. We've got a volleyball up there. Um, I've got some stuff that still needs to be, uh, framed out from like Xavier club hockey. Um, we, we've got some tennis stuff up there. Um, so it, it, being, being all Xavier graduates, um, and it being a Xavier bar, we, we, we know where our bread is buttered, but we, we know where our heart is as well. So it, it's always to make sure that we, we keep Xavier in, in mind, spirit, and heart. You mentioned the jerseys that are hung up there. Um, can you name all the jerseys that are currently hanging in Dana's? Oh, um, in order from the kitchen to the end, uh, we've got Eric Knopp. We've got Mo Hester. We've got um, – um, what's – Gosh darn it! It was Mo's teammate Megan. What's Megan's last name? No, oh, I mean, I can't remember Megan's last name. Keith Jackson. Um, let's see, Reggie Butler, Alvin Brown, Brad Redford, um, James Posey, Ryan Caldwell. 
Tommy Compton. Um, and then I've got a couple more that I just I've been lazy and haven't gotten framed yet. Like I've got a Matt Stainbrook, I've got a Zach Hankins. Um, and these are all um, jerseys that the players actually give to us. So all of these were given to us. They were not – we didn't go out and get them. So it, it's kind of the, the players that liked coming and hanging out with us. A lot of uh, a lot of real cult heroes in that group. No, no doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is there any personal favorites for you all-time player-wise? Um. Fun times had um, Lionel Chambers and David West were really fun. Um, uh, these are the bigger, bigger names. Um, I had a lot of fun with D Davis and his dad. They were great people. Um, it, put it this way. There, there's a lot more. There's way more that we've enjoyed hanging around and having come there than we haven't. Uh, more often than not, um, the, these kids are, are really good kids and, and have had a good time. There's bad seats here and there, but uh, the good far, far outweigh the bad. BJ, with all the uh, development that's happened around campus over the last 10, 15 years, has there ever been any uh, any push for you guys to either move or to, or to sell the property or anything like that? Have, have there been those opportunities that have come up? Or Yeah, yes. So uh, RJ, uh, RJ Anderson, I think, is a developer there. Um, and when they were starting uh, the building process of U Station, they came to us and said that multiple people um, said that they should talk to us about moving in there. Um, uh, Kusha sat in a couple meetings with uh, with us to to see about opening a satellite spot over there and um, sitting down talking with them. And then after running the numbers that they were wanting to charge, um, it, there was never any indication that we were going to move over there. It's just it's too expensive for what you were getting. Um, we owned our building. We own our land and uh, the rent that they were wanting to get. Uh, you can't sell you can't sell enough dollar natties and two dollar Bud Lights to make up that that nut. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing the last time uh, I was there, which I think was before the Butler game with my dad, we were talking to you about the uh, Wasson way and the yeah. opportunities that that. So uh, so obviously for now, everything's on hold. But what's uh Tell us a little bit about that and what you guys might do um, to take advantage of that uh, so that opportunity. It, it's actually not really that much on hold. On this Thursday, uh, we're getting a dumpster delivered to the parking lot. We've got uh, a, a bobcat coming in, and we're knocking down the fence and all that shrubbery back there. And we're going to build. Um, I'm hoping a ramp. If it has to be steps, then it'll be steps. But we're building um, something to get the people from the trail up into the back part of the lot. We're putting in some new fencing and everything. Um, so fingers crossed that will be done um, by the end of the week next week. Wow. So, and we don't, obviously we'll put, put some bike racks back there if people want that. Um, we thought about putting some water stations back there, but then doing some research on board of health stuff. Um, it's probably, it, and insurance-wise, it probably doesn't behoove us to do that if someone ever gets sick from drinking the water or, or whatever. So, um, but yeah, 
within the next week, um, it, the process starts to welcome in everyone from that Wasson Way and even not necessarily the, the riders and people jogging, but it's it's a better access for the students that live in Norwood off of yeah. Re- Regent and Absolutely. Uh, Hudson and all those places. They don't have to go all the way down to uh, Montgomery and then to Dana. They'll, they'll just be able to come through the trail. Excellent. And for those of you that don't know, Watson Way is a uh, multi-use trail that's being built uh, right now on the east side of Cincinnati. It runs from, uh, let's see, it runs from Rookwood basically across 71 and then terminates right uh, right behind you guys, essentially yep. on, uh, on Montgomery Road. Uh, very nice, about a mile and a half right now, and then they have two more sets segments that they're looking at building, which will extend it to about five miles in length or thereabouts. Um, so, uh, yeah, eventually it's going to get all the way to Clifton. Right. Right. BJ, you mentioned, uh, some of the guys who appreciated their time at, at Dana's the most and have donated their jerseys to the place. Um, give us some, some of the names who, who appeared at Dana's the most during their time as a Xavier player. Um, so back in the day, um, Kevin Carr was there a lot, um, and that was be- that was because he was rehabbing his knee, um, and his girlfriend, who is now his wife, Allison, um, she did not like hanging in the uh, the manor apartments. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they would come up and they would play Mega Touch and drink four dollar pitchers all day, um, and he'd come in hobbling on crutches, but he was there a lot. Um, the thing is, is like I don't, I'm not there at nights anymore, so I don't know. I don't in the past like three or four years, I don't know who comes there that at nights anymore. Well, it's probably um, best not to talk about the most recent guys anyway. Right, exactly. <laughs> Statute of limitations exactly. and all. Uh, uh, obviously, Ryan Caldwell, who worked for us for a little bit too. Um, what was his role? <laughs> he was a doorman. Oh, well, that makes a, sense. He was a bouncer. Yeah. I, it did strike me that when we were there doing the live podcast a couple summers ago, that Stainbrook seemed to know his way around. Yeah, Matt was Matt and uh, Tim are there were there a little bit. Um, yeah, it, uh, a lot of the student, a lot of the players were there a lot. I'll say that. <laughs> who, um, who out of aside from players, are there any like sort of legendary patrons that just hung around the bar the most? Um. Andy Donnelly tends to stop in a lot. Um, for people that don't know Andy, Andy, he uh, started the senior streak of graduating four-year seniors graduating. So when he, he graduated, and I think it's '85 was his year. He was he's the first one that starts the run from then on um, of graduating everybody. Um, trying to think that. T- Matt and Tim, whenever they're back in town, they stop up and say hi to Stainbrooks. Um, I, I was asking maybe, are there any guys who didn't actually play for the team that are just legendary patrons because they've been around for so long or become to the bar, been regulars for so long? Well, we had one that uh, passed away um, three years ago, Billy Ray Studer. Um, legend. Absolute he, legend. He, he, he ran Dana's for a little while. Um, he was a Xavier graduate. He, as he liked to say, he was on the 11-year accelerated program of graduation. Um, <laughs> Vietnam got in the way of his graduation. <laughs> um, Chris Thomas, who hangs around with with Billy Ray, John Brueggemann. Um, trying to think of 
I think that's it right now that I can think of. I'm sure, and, and I know I'm leaving people out. One more rapid fire here for you. Um, any famous people that have ever entered the bar? Um, here's a good story. Um, this would have been uh, 06 or 07 or whatever. Uh, I had uh, a cook by the name of Bevan O'Brien working for us and all her friends. They were up in Mount Adams at the pavilion partying. Um, and the Cardinals happened to be in town um, that that it was like on a Tuesday. Um, and Jason Isringhausen and Ray King were flirting with her and all her friends. And somehow, some way, she got them to come back to Dana Gardens after playing that night and having to play. I didn't even think they had an afternoon game the next day or something. Um, but those two guys showed up and they walk in and I'm like, what the heck? And they're, he was shocked that I, that I knew who they were, but I'm a big baseball fan. So that, that's why, but they well, walk in and I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Ray King is on my permanent shit list. <laughs> and you know why BJ, because he sat on Austin Kearns' arm or he sat on Austin Kearns' shoulder when he was like 22 and ruined yeah. his career. But. Yeah. So yeah, um, hopefully we'll get to watch baseball again someday. That would be nice, at least on TV. <laughs> <laughs> um, other famous people? No, I, um, Robbie, uh, the other owner, is uh, or was a caddy back in the day, so he would have some golfers stop in every once in a while. Ryan Armour, who's on the tour right now, he's been in. Um, obviously, Jason Kokrak comes in. Uh, whenever he's in town, um, yeah, that's all I can think of right now. I'm not a, I'm not a starstruck type of guy. Like I'm not uh, Jeff Ruby, where I need to take the picture with the guy and hang it up on the wall. Except for when we come in, of course. Right. Well, yes. Yeah. Um. It. Well, you were mentioning earlier some of the games that really stick out and how you know that's kind of uh, the best part is is celebrating the big wins. Um. For both of you. Give me some of some of the more memorable celebrations at Dana's after after big games. Some of your favorite big wins. Um, driving back from uh, Dayton after beating St. Joe's, that <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> um, and then partying the rest of that afternoon because that that we were the first game, right? If I remember that correctly. Yes. Yeah, I was at that game. Yeah, it was a uh, noon noon tip. Noon tip and. That the, the post party after that was really good. Um, Villanova a couple years ago when the game was at like a two o'clock in the afternoon game, um, coming back to the bar. And it, the great thing about those is having the, the beer tubs out in the parking lot. Right. Right. Now. Uh, we used to not do that. Um, and now we do. And it, it's we've had better luck than most. Those afternoon Sunday games against good teams like Villanova, Crosstown this year was at four, where we can and it, the weather has been forty degrees or fifty degrees and sunny, and that's all you're asking for in December or right. January. And people come out and it, it just have a really good time with that. Yeah, Rick, the one that occurs to me is and BJ, I may screw up the year on this, but. Um, Maybe it was 2000. I think it was it was an away game at UC and you guys had set up a tent in the parking lot with yeah. like a uh, 
with like yeah. a, a big screen TV, but it was a very rudimentary big screen. It was like a, 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 a trailer or something. It was like on the that, side I of a truck. Like. It was on the side of yeah. a truck. Yes. Now I, now I'm not saying that I was there because I wasn't 21 yet. And I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to cause any issues, but that I remember uh, Xavier was down about 15 points in the second half of that game came back and won. That was the, uh, the famous uh, Lloyd Price steal at midcourt, I think, yeah. was the the biggest uh, the biggest play of that game. So, uh, uh, yeah, that's one that that's one that definitely springs to mind. The Villanova game, the number three versus number one game, obviously. Um, but but some of my favorites, and you brought you brought up one of them, BJ. But there was a period in in the Atlantic Ten where Xavier would get like one of those saturday 11 a.m tips basically every year and it usually was a pretty decent game it'd be dayton it'd be st louis it'd be somebody pretty good and uh i just remember that uh that i i i would you know make a point to get to uh to get to to dana's at, at 9 30 or 9 45 and the place would already be up for grabs at that point so yeah. those are some of the best uh best days there yeah so that dayton game um the 11 o'clock game we we literally ran out of beer. I had to I had to get my dad's truck and went out and bought fifty more cases of Bud Light and ten more kegs. Uh, at like four in the afternoon, we had gone through through so much beer. And then I come in the next day and we went through all of that. It, it was mind boggling the consumption that day. BJ, give me your favorite Xavier team of all time. Um, oh my goodness. Um, I'd have to go with, um, probably 90, 96 with Lenny, Darnell, um, Lumpkin. Posey didn't, he was, was Posey still on, uh, I think it was prop, prop 41 40, or whatever it was. Yeah. 48. Yeah. yeah. Um, Kevin Carr was there, but he wasn't playing yet. TJ Johnson. Um, that, th- that was, that I I really love those guys. Those those were really good guys. Yeah, and that team that that was the first year in the A10, and it was just I, I remember it being a frustrating year because X couldn't get over the hump against the good teams in the conference. But man, they played their their asses off, and uh, that was the year of the famous UMass game when UMass was. I we're thinking of the same year. Are you thinking of the next year, yeah. BJ? Okay, no, that that year you're thinking that, of the next year. I think. Well, that that the UMass game. So we're, we're still really good friends with Kevin Carr. He lives in town and we see him quite often. And uh, he, we talk about that, that he missed one free throw. He made all of his shots. He missed one free throw. And his, his, he called, his meemaw is what he said. She called him after the game and said, hey, if you wouldn't have missed that free throw, we would have won. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's not wrong. She's not wrong. <laughs> Shout out to Terrence Payne for that game. Coach, yeah, well, Coach Prosser should have had him practicing free throws when they were tired. When they were tired, exactly. That might have helped. Uh, BJ, a couple other things that I've noticed just in the uh, several times that I've been at Dana's. Um, the Semester Club. What is the Semester Club and how did that start? So the Second Semester Club. Okay, yeah, Second is, Semester Club. No, that's fine. Is It's – you come to Dana's every day of your second semester of your senior year. You know, the only days that you do not come are uh, Easter and spring break. So it winds up being from the first day of classes, so the middle of January through graduation day, you have to come and buy and drink at least one drink every day. 
Um, you sign in. There's a we have a book that you sign in, and uh, it keeps track. And then if you do that, you get your name up on the plaque. Um, the way that started out was in 2001, um, a guy by the name of Mark Forker uh, was coming every day, and I didn't notice because a lot of people came a lot of times in a row, and I would have days off here and there. But his friends came up to me halfway through the semester and they're like, do you know what Mark's doing? And I'm like, no, what? He's like, he's challenged himself to come to Dana's every day of his senior year and buy and have at least one drink. And I said, holy, that's brilliant. Um, so, so he did that. Um, I told him, I said, if you do this, we're going to put a plaque up with your name on it. And then we'll start that tradition from then on. Um, he did it in, in what I say? Oh, one. Is that right? No. Oh, seven. Or is it? Oh, one. Anyway, they, they all run together now. Um, but, uh, there were some years where nobody got into it, but in the last six or seven years, we've, uh, we've, we've gotten it up to as high as eight people doing it. Um, this year, <laughs> this year we had seven started, um, six completed it for what it was worth. Um, I'm still going to put their names up. I told them, I said, I'm thinking about putting an asterisk next to it. And the <laughs> one guy's like, BJ, if you're going to put asterisks next to it, don't put my name up there. It, I would associate it with being like Barry Bonds or something like that. I'm like, well, okay, I understand that. <laughs> so that, that's how that came about. And it's, it, it's a brilliant marketing ploy because everyone talks about it and it's actually a really good way to get to know the kids too, because they, they you'll be, you're able to start more conversations with them and, and actually get to know them. How many people have completed it at this point? Do you know? Um, if I had to guess we're in the 35 to 40 range. Wow. Um, what about the shot wheel that I see up on the wall? What's the, the story behind that? So the shot wheel was um, invented slash made by a student uh, by the name of Andy Knight. Um, he, he liked to do woodworking projects, and he came up to me one day, and he goes, BJ, I've, I've made something for you. And I'm like, what's that? He's like, it's a shot wheel. And I'm like, that's perfect. I, I, and he's like, J I need you to write down um, – I think there's 16 different shots – He's like, I need you to write down 16 different shots that I can paint on here. They'll spin the wheel and whatever they land on, um, they have to do. And I made sure that I did a equal amount of really good shots, really, really bad shots, and then some middle, middle ones. So if you spin that wheel, there's a chance that you're going to get something called um, the naked Herschel or you're going to get a three, the three wise men. Or you're going to get the Mexican Death March, which is what I think is the worst shot ever. It's it's Jaeger 151 in tequila. And so what? They just have to – there's no like discount or anything for it? They no, just pay right there is price? A, yeah. No, there is a discount. So normally the, most of those shots are $5. You spin the wheel. It's only $4. Okay. All right. That's fair. Um, what about the names all over the walls and ceilings and there's like carvings, there's Sharpies, there's chalk? What? How did that all come about? That so that the carving on the bar was before we even bought Dana's that they've allowed people to carve on the bars for the longest time. Um, I don't know how or when, especially on the walls, um, somebody started writing. And at that point, 
when you're dealing with college students, there's no point of painting over it because then you're just going to write on it again. Um, so that that the writing on the walls is something that that started when we bought the bar. Um, and then the ceiling is I'm going to guess 15 years or so now. We used to have a drop ceiling in there um, that we took out and then put up just drywall up there and then painted it with the uh, the black chalkboard paint. And said, guys, if you can get up there, write whatever you want up there. <laughs> I like it. Dan, what and, and what I miss? What other <laughs> uh, Dana Gardens legends do you need the backstory for? Oh, I think we've covered most of it. Um, you know, it's just uh, I, I BJ knows this, obviously, but uh, but I grew up um, uh, going to Dana's, as I as I mentioned. But a lot of that was because uh, Dan Delaney's son uh, lived like four houses down from, uh, from my parents when I was growing up in Amelia, a million years ago. And, uh, in fact, that was who my dad started going to, uh, how he got season tickets was with the, uh, the Dana's group, the Delaney group that had like 40 seats at the garden. So, uh, right behind the visitor's bench, right behind the visitor's bench. So that's where I sat. Uh, we've got the, we've got a few of those seats, uh, mounted to my dad's deck up in Mason at this point. Um, But yeah, but it's uh, it, it it's always been a, a special place for me, even though I didn't go to Xavier, just being a fan for my whole life. Uh, uh, going to Dana's pregame is is part of our ritual. Uh, it would be weird if we didn't do that for most games. Um, and uh, and so uh, so it's cool to, to, to kind of reminisce a little bit about that place. Uh, it's a it's a it's a special place for me. Dan, speaking of the gardens, give me your one of your favorite stories or any story about watching or being part of a game at the Cincinnati Gardens. So this is one that I was not there for, but I believe Studer may have been involved. Okay. Uh, I my understanding is that uh, there was a UC player uh, at one point who had been arrested for uh, for sticking somebody up, and uh, and someone it may have been Studer put a wallet on a fishing rod and cast it onto the floor in front of the UC bench at one point during a crosstown shootout. So that that player was Lou Banks. <laughs> Wasn't that what a requirement for a Huggins team though? Like didn't everybody kind of No, that was pre Huggins. Oh, okay. That, was that pre Huggins? That would have been pre Huggins. No, that would have been Tony been Yates probably. No, that would yeah. no. It was definitely Huggins. Yeah, so that was a requirement. Everybody on his roster had at least one felony or misdemeanor. The other thing, the other thing about the Gardens and um you know, uh, I I went in there a couple times to go to the roller derby uh, long after Xavier stopped playing there. And it's amazing how you can still smell and get your shoes stuck to the floor from Hugh to pole that was spilled in like 1978 in that place or maybe even older than that. Um, they also did. They also have the trough in the men's room. So it was a uh, yeah, love- it was a really old school. But one one of my favorite stories is is when um, Xavier played UC uh, right after Art Long got in trouble punching the horse. Um, one of my now employees, Jim Now, and one of his friends came in a horse costume, a two man horse costume, a two man yes. horse costume, <laughs> and obviously they and got chased out of there. But that that is always one that stuck in my head. <laughs> they made it all the way around the court outside the hockey boards before yeah. the, uh, the security guards <laughs> hustled them out. I remember it. Uh, I remember I, it well. I have a question. Was the uh, Kevin Fry, Simon Ogan, Lisi, Xavier Duquesne game, was that at the Gardens? I believe. No, that was in Pitt. 
Pittsburgh. I think that was in Pittsburgh. No, no, the one where he got el- elbowed above the eye and had to get stitches and came back and, and he scored like 30. I was at it. I know it was in Cincinnati. I just don't know if it was in Cintas oh. or if it was in the, the Gardens. Oh, that would have been in the Gardens. I, that's what I yeah. thought, yeah, because I, I remember I was in the Gardens. I, my dad graduated from Xavier, so I went to games as a kid, and I was at that game, and I I had a bit of a mouth on me as a, as a middle school child, or maybe this was even elementary school at that point. Um, and my dad was like telling me, you know, people sitting around me doesn't don't want to hear me saying sucks and damn and things like that. And then uh, Simon Ogan Lisi elbows Kevin Fry in the eye. So he's going and then there's like a fight and there's a technical. So he's Duquesne's going to the line after Simon Ogan Lisi gets kicked out of the game and does a double does an X with his arms and does double birds to the entire crowd on his way out. Um, they're at the free throw line and my dad stands up and at the top of his lungs yells, Duquesne sucks. And I was like, great example, Pops. I mean, you're just doing the Lord's work out here as a parent. Good work. Um, so that game will always stick in uh, stick in my memory because then Kevin Fry came back in and just lit up the second half of that game. So right. give me give me uh, give me give me a disappointing game for you guys. Ooh. My our mine through Dana's is um, the uh, Ohio State game. We rented a bus and took 40 uh, people down to the game on St. Patty's Day. Yeah, at Rupp Arena, right? At Rupp Arena. And we've got beers and coolers in this bus, and we're just having a blast the whole way down. And obviously we're having a blast the whole game until the last effing 15 seconds. And that bus ride home and that St. Patty's Day back on the deck afterwards was just miserable. Just miserable, miserable, miserable. Yeah, I can imagine. I I would say like the one I was most shocked since I've been covering the team that I, I just was stunned at how dominated they were was one of the games you weren't at, and that was the Marquette game. The Marquette game at, yeah. at Cleveland because yeah. I just thought Two Holloway was so good, and um, then all of a sudden I, the way he got locked down in that game, I was like, oh, he just wasn't quite as good as we thought. You know, he's a great A ten player, but not athletic enough. Whatever. Well, yeah. then it turns out Jimmy Butler was one of the greatest yeah. defenders we've yeah. ever seen at any level of the sport. So uh, and I they had like cut him some had, slack. They had Jay Crowder, like three or four pros on that. Yeah, team. they had yeah. they had four NBA guys on that team, so yeah. it was a really good team. But Jimmy Butler locking yeah. down to Holloway just you know it was so surprising to see him get shut down in that way. But it made a whole lot more sense when you saw the way Jimmy Butler's career played out. Right. Yeah, the the Ohio State game. I was at South by Southwest in Austin, watching an Irish bar on St. Patrick's Day, and then I had to go back to the hotel and just sit in the dark for like five hours. But um, but. I guess for me, like the, the, the ones that just that it's where there's a lot of buildup and then it's kind of like the team just gets blown out. Right. And so that Every Baylor game, game in the Sweet 16, that Baylor game in the Sweet 16 is one. I know they got back into the game. They cut it to six or seven in the second half. But that was one where that I remember that little floppy headed white Heslip. kid for Baylor, which is. Yeah, that guy. Uh, and and Baylor was up like twenty seven to four in that game or something ridiculous like that. And I just remember uh, I remember that feeling like a, a complete like deflation after after Xavier beaten Notre Dame and Lehigh the previous week and it kind of salvaged their season to just have like eight of the worst minutes you could ever want to start that game uh, was was pretty deflating. Um, and then obviously and then obviously not being able to close out. Uh, uh, either Ohio, the Ohio State game, the Kansas State game, even though it never felt like Xavier was going to win that game, 
you look at the way things happened after that, um, and you wonder if Xavier had been able somehow to win that game, uh, where that season would have ended. Um, yeah, and then the the Florida State comeback um, too was just another one where it's like, yeah, man, yeah, uh, yeah. What were you about to say before though, BJ? Uh, okay, um, that's that's depressing. The, <laughs> the the Duke game in the Meadowlands where they just came out and bustled us the first four minutes. I was I was eight. Eighteen to one. Yeah, sitting in that second row, um, and standing up and clapping the whole time because Xavier. I'm waiting for them to score because Xavier fans we stand up and clap, and I've got all these Duke fans behind me. Sit the f down and this and that, and oh, that was so miserable. (laughs) And then we only lose by seventeen, so we played them straight up the rest of the game. That's right. Redford hit two threes in the last thirty seconds to make it a seventeen point game, (laughs) and so it was like, oh, this was this wasn't. I mean. Duke was barely ahead all game and iced it with free throws. No big deal. <laughs> all right. Um, BJ, anything uh, we missed? Any stories you want to tell? Anything you want to say to Xavier Nation before we sign off here? No, just thank them for their patronage. Um, we're really appreciating every, what they've done so far during this crisis. Any, every little bit helps um, and can't wait to, to see everybody back again when everything's back to normal and basketball seasons upon us here in six months now we got uh, an interesting year coming up for the musketeers so maybe when uh, things get back to normal and you're back open and running we can do a live podcast out there and uh, so yeah we need to get back all right you've been listening to another edition of the data victory podcast only available on musketeerreport.com for dan and bj haley from dana gardens this is rick thanks for listening everyone 